Good morning. Welcome to the Long Live Alternative Parties podcast. Free Press Media Press Inc. and Alternative Parties Books Publisher sponsors this podcast. I'm Andrew Bouchard. Welcome to the Long Live Alternative Parties podcast. Today, friends, we have another exciting guest on this podcast. On this podcast, we cover two types of topics. One is alternative parties, like her name suggests, and also the nonpartisan reform movement. We are opposed to the duopoly, so we love to talk about all these reform movements that seek to change and or revolutionize our political system. And today we have a guest who belongs to one of these nonpartisan reform movements. So I'm putting I'm giving you suspense, dear audience. So I'm gonna have her introduce herself and what organization she is with. So would you kindly tell us your first and last name and the organization you represent? I am Tiani Coleman, and I'm president of New Hampshire Ranked Choice Voting. Awesome, awesome. We love to talk about Ranked Choice Voting here. It's one of the reforms we hear again and again. It's awesome. So if we can get started by kindly giving us an introduction to yourself, a brief biographical sketch. Okay, thank you. So I am an attorney and a mother. But I used to live in New Hampshire. I mean, it, I used to live in Utah. And when I lived in Utah, I was uh, chair of the Salt Lake County Republican Party that was back in the very early 2000s. And in the process of serving in that position, I uh, dealt with a lot of intra-party politics and a lot of power plays and got to see that the party system is actually brought with problems. Um, I saw that first through the caucus system that they had in Utah, and then later when I was a campaign manager for a Democrat in a very conservative district. Uh, through seeing both of those things, I saw that party system um, can either have a tyranny of the majority or a, ty- or a tyranny of the minority, either one. And neither, oh one of those things is, neither one of those things is good. So I became an independent and started working for electoral reform, and I have been advocating for uh, not just ranked choice voting, but also for um, the open uh, combined primary system that then uses ranked choice voting in the general election. Uh, We we actually used ranked choice voting in the Republican uh, conventions back when I was doing that. So that's what introduced me to ranked choice voting. Oh, wow. Wow. We don't hear about that every day. Often we hear about the two parties opposing ranked choice voting, so that's interesting that they favor that. Yes. Yes. Uh, quite a few parties do use it in their conventions. So. Oh, wow. That's an interesting statement in and of itself because what they're saying by doing that is that they like the system yeah, they don't want to use it as in the general election. So it seems right. to be saying that this is good, yet it's not good. Their actions are they're incongruent in a sense. That's true. Uh, Robert's Rules of Order actually says it's a good system to use, and wow. to use it, um, you know, to, to be able to determine the things within our party. But you're right; they got afraid of it expanding too much, um, although it has been expanding slowly. Oh, good. So you said Robert Rules of Order rec- deals with the topic of ranked choice voting? Yes, uh, 
Yes, uh, Robert's Rules of Order um, prefers multi-ballot, but they said that the next best thing is preferential voting, which is essentially ranked choice voting, because they think that, you know, you should be getting a majority um, when you, you should be getting a majority whenever you're holding any kind of election. Wow, I didn't realize that. I I was in student government, so I'm familiar with Robert's Rules of Order, and I've looked at the manuals before. I don't re- ever remember anything mentioning about Robert's Rules. I'm sorry, about Ray Choice Voting, so that's awesome. I missed that. Yes, it uses the term preferential voting, which is really the same thing. Oh, okay. So say that term again, please. They use the term preferential voting, which is really Preferential the same voting, okay. Okay, preferential voting. Okay. So you were an attorney. How did that influence your political outlook and approach? Well, um, it probably made me consider things more carefully and look into things, uh, you know, use, hopefully it helped me have critical thinking. And so oh, okay. I, I guess in that sense, it, it influenced me to look critically at the system and recognize that the system actually needed to be reformed. And like okay. I said, I, I I was raised I was raised in a conservative household and I you know uh, active in Republican politics, but I decided to become an independent and since becoming an independent I'm I'm a true independent now. My my views I would not describe myself as conservative anymore, although I still retain a few things. From there, I, I wouldn't say I'm liberal either. I, I, I'm independent, and so I have different views on different topics depending on, on the facts and circumstances. Okay. So that's where I hear about a lot of independents are in that that spectrum, that spectrum that you're – the part of the spectrum that you're in where they have certain views from both sides of the spectrum, both liberal and conservative views in the various from issue to issue, person to person. So I understand mm-hmm. a lot of people are in that position. So that's a good place to be then. Yeah. Yes, it is. So your organization, how did you – okay, you said when you went to New Hampshire, you got involved in this organization. How did that specifically unfold? So actually when I was out in Utah and I became an independent, I got hooked in with uh, – Independent voting, and I started, you know, getting involved in independent uh, reforms, and started leading an organization called New Hampshire Independent Voters, which I do still work with. But in the process of that, we wanted to have some bills that would be better for independent voters. And one of our members was a legislator, and she didn't. She she wanted to, you know, do something that would work, and we talked about it. Decided that ranked choice voting would be a good issue to bring before the legislature, and in that process, we ended up founding and forming this group called New Hampshire Ranked Choice Voting, and, you know, we, we get people from all, we have, you know, we have Democrats, Republicans, Independents, and third-party members all in, in okay. our group of New Hampshire Ranked Choice Voting, and we just all work together to try to, you know, educate people about Ranked Choice Voting and to try to get reforms passed that would bring about Ranked Choice Voting. Okay, that's good. We like to see that that collaboration. We hear a lot of rhetoric from observers our political spe- spectrum that it's a very divisive and polarizing system, so we appreciate your efforts in collaboration. Yes, 
We work hard for that. It's not always easy because people want to politicize the issue, even though we really think it should be considered a nonpartisan issue. Sure. So kindly tell our audience what draws you individually to ranked choice voting. Why do you think it is a good way of voting? Yes, so there are a lot of reasons. Um, one is because I think a lot of people really feel like our system is broken. Um, yep. People can feel it right now. People could feel it in 2016. People can feel it all the time in all the elections where they just don't feel satisfied with the candidates. They really want better choices. It seems like we always, not always, but we often get down to just the lesser of two evils and people have to decide between them. No one's really that enthusiastic. And it yeah. seems like if you could use ranked choice voting, you would have better candidates stepping forward, willing to run. There would be less fear. People could vote their conscience and uh, not worry that by doing that, maybe they would help the person they really hate. <laughs> you know, They could vote their conscience and then put, their, put the next one a second or third. Um, so I think, you know, it really helps eliminate the spoiler effect. You don't have to worry about different candidates splitting votes so you can have healthier competition. Uh, it, I think it would reduce polarization and negative campaigning. It allow. I often call it a win-win for everybody. Sure. So it really, it really helps everybody. Everybody should see it as a positive because, you know, it, it's good for upstart candidates and emerging parties or emerging candidates. But it's also good for the establishment in the sense that they don't have to worry. They, the emerging candidates get a more level playing field and are able to actually have a shot, and they allow people to vote for them without being afraid. But at the same time, the major parties don't have to be afraid that if someone's getting traction, it's going to ruin everything for them. If they really are, if they really do have majority support, then that will show that in, in the ranked choice vote. Okay. You're not going to have spoilers, you know. So that way people win on the merits. Whoever's the best will win, and you don't have to press the vote. You know, right now, a lot of times they're telling people they have to get out of the race. They can't run. Instead, we can say everyone's welcome, and we're going to use ranked choice voting, and vote is not suppressed. Okay. That sounds like a good set of positives for ranked choice voting. Inevitably, inevitably people will criticize what you do, and they will raise objections. So what are the major objections people raise to you and how would you counter those objections to make sure that ranked choice voting will prevail? Yes, so um, there are basically three objections I have seen. Okay. And really only, probably only one of them is one to really discuss. So I'll, t I'll say the first two first. Um, you know, one objection is just people who are afraid it's really truly a secret partisan manipulative move. Um, they don't, you know, they need to be educated more about it. They need to be set at ease. It really is something that works for everyone. Um, they're afraid that maybe somehow it's a trick, that someone's trying to bring it in in order to, you know, change the outcome their way. So I guess the basic there is just to show people that ranked choice voting is not about a specific outcome. It's about a process. It's about having a better process. The outcome is really dependent on who the voters are. It's always going to lead to an outcome that the most voters want. So if the most voters are conservative, it will lead to that. If the most voters are 
you know, liberal it will lead to that. If they're moderate, it will lead to that. Um, so it's really, you know, it's not really helping one or the other party. It's just helping the people. Um, the other objection that we often hear is people are worried that it's not constitutional. And once again, that objection really doesn't stand very strong because it's been before the courts, um, the federal courts and the state courts, and it's been upheld over and over and over. In fact, a lot of judges Good. say, oh, ranked choice voting actually meets the constitutional uh, democratic, public, democratic republic kind of process better than the current system. So, hmm. you know, that's just a matter of educating people that it is constitutional. So the third one that we get is that people are worried. They're just worried about changing the system. They're worried that it might be too confusing for people. They're worried that it complicates things. <laughs> um, so that one has also been shown to, you know, they've had exit polls everywhere that they've implemented new ranked choice voting systems, like mm -hmm. in Maine, New York City, uh, Utah, Santa Fe, Minnesota, all those different places where they've implemented it. Alaska as well. All those places, um, they have done exit polls the first time. And it's between 85 and 95 percent of voters that say that their experience using ranked choice voting is very positive and easy to understand and that they thought it was simple. So, and the uh, error rate in using ranked choice voting is no higher than the error rate in regular elections that we hold now. So okay. we can show that it's really very easy, but sometimes people are just resistant to change and worried about it. Sure. Makes sense. I guess That's the on. final one is just in the last, in the last uh, couple of years, because uh, election security has become more of an issue, people, you know, because a lot of people in the United States are now claiming that elections have been stolen and whatnot, um, has been a little bit harder because they're more worried about implementing a new voting system because they're worried that somehow that's going to, you know, be a problem with election security. So that's another one that we've been addressing and showing that uh, the process is fully transparent. You can, you know, it's always reproducible. People can see exactly what happened to the votes, you know, that you can track the votes. So it's, and it's secure and it's, you know, so we have to show that as well. You can do audits, you can do recounts. You know, it works perfectly well. You can do a hand count. You can, you know, have a paper trail, machine count, everything else. So. Okay, that sounds good. So what about the strategy of implementing ranked choice voting? What do you think is the best strategy, if there is one? Is it state by state? Is it at the municipal level? Is it constitutional amendment, the federal law? How do you think we should implement ranked choice voting? Yeah, it has to be state by state, and then within each state, you know, that's probably the best way. And then within each state, um, they have to determine what the best approach is in that state. For example, some states have ballot initiatives, so you know they do a big grassroots groundswell and you know get a ballot initiative passed for ranked choice voting. That's what happened in Maine and Alaska. It got passed there because of ballot initiative, and in Nevada. They passed one in 2022 that they have to vote again because of the way their constitution works. So it will be on the ballot again this year. And that's actually probably the best way because a lot of people on the ground, regular people, want ranked choice voting. Um, here in New Hampshire, we do not have ballot initiatives, so it has to go through the legislature. Oh, okay. And so um, we have had bills 
to have ranked choice voting, you know, change the whole system to ranked choice voting. But because legislatures aren't as um, usually as willing to make a big change, we've also had a bill that just starts with implementing it at the local level, um, just for municipal elections, you know, for mayor and town clerk and those types of races. Um, because we have to have enabling legislation in order to allow towns to do that, and then each town can individually decide whether they want to opt in or not. Oh, okay. So we've, we've been working on on both, but knowing that the legislature might be more willing to start with the local option than with the uh, the big change for the whole state. Okay. So it sounds like there's a variety of strategies, yet there are some you think are better than others. Yes. Okay. And it partially depends on the area, too, because different areas have different restrictions and different requirements. Right. And different needs. Sure. Sure. So what do you think is the best way to spread the word about rate choice voting so that more people who can support it are can hear about it? Yes. So... One thing that we've been doing is we just go clipboard at different events. For example, we'll be having our First of the Nation primary, at least on the Republican side, and on the Democratic side, I guess it will still be a primary. Um, that's coming up on the 23rd of this month, and we will okay. be clipboarding. We'll be clipboarding at those polls um, to get people, you know, to sign up who already know about ranked choice voting, and to tell people just a little quick thing about it if they don't know about it and try to spread the word that way. Um, so we, that way we can build the ground support. But we also go to places like the Rotary Club and the Lions Club and, you know, the town meetings and things like this to try to we, – we offer to do presentations on ranked choice voting and help educate people about it. And one thing that's been very – yeah, one thing that's been very successful, it was successful in Maine and it works well, is to – actually give people a little ballot and give them a chance to to do a ranking and then count it right in front of them. So, for example, you know, some people go to, like, breweries and maybe they have a, a beer election and vote on their favorite beer, or we can do ice cream elections or cookie elections or whatever, and, you know, you just have people get together for, it can be house parties or whatever, and they actually rank their favorites and rank them in order, and then we'll count the ballots right there in front of them because when people actually see it, it clicks immediately, and they understand it easier that way than if you try to explain it to them. So we do that, and once they've tried it, they get it, and then they they seem to really like it. So experimenting with it, experiencing it, is the best way to convince somebody. Yes, it is. Oh, good. It's and we have, you know, we I'm have, sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. Our, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No problem. In our presentations that we do, you know, we have slides that show, for example, the 1992 election with Perot, and we show the election with Al Gore and Ralph Nader. You know, we we show the different elections so that people see that this happens in real life, where you know we have outcomes that people really would like to be able to do the ranked choice voting. So that's another thing that we show people. Yeah, that sounds good. A lot of people, those two elections are major elections in our history, and they've both involved 
alternative party candidates. So those elections, yes. a lot of people have strong feelings about those elections, and especially the 2000 election, a lot of people, a lot of people hated Ralph Nader for what he did. So, so it's good to know to have you inform people about how we can avoid scenarios like we had. Yes. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people are in the mindset that one alternative parties take votes away from the major parties. So it's good to know that we have a system intact that cannot, that will not let that happen. Absolutely. And, and almost everybody wants, they want to be able to do this. They want to be able to vote their conscience and they also don't want you know, spoilers and vote splitting. So it's just a matter of, of, of get it, actually getting it done. Okay. So it sounds like there's a lot of support, and you say most people, so it's a matter of getting this into place, overcoming the resistance, overcoming the obstacles to make this dream that a lot of people have come into practice. Right. Uh, as you, I'm sure you know, in, in the electoral reform space in the alternative party space, these different spaces, um, usually the resources are lower than in, you know, the major party space. And so that's really our biggest obstacle is just resources. We don't have as many. But, you know, I I did a survey a few years ago where I just went to the parking lots of grocery stores and out in front of libraries and different places and just surveyed random people that were coming out. Um, they, they, most of them had never even heard of ranked choice voting, and I told them a little bit about it and asked them, you know, and it was a really high percentage that said they would support it. And I think oh, that's the case. It's just, it's just a matter of getting that word out and being able to reach enough people when you don't have the resources to do TV advertisements or even mailers or radio, even, you know, you don't have tons of resources, so you just have to get out there and do the grassroots work. Sure, sure. Sounds good. So you mentioned that you could use more resources. Would donations be the best way our audience could help you? Are there some other ways our audience can help your your organization out? Uh, Yes, donations are the way that most all of these types of organizations operate, and that's the way we operate as well is through donations. Um, So we have a website. It's nhranks.com choice.org and people can go there and donate. Um, like I said, there are a lot of organizations like ours in every state, so people can find the one in their state. I think uh, fairvote, fairvote.org as well as rankthevote, I think, .org. They both, I think, list the organizations in the various states. So if some of your audience is from a different state, they can go to those. Okay. Sounds like a plan. Yes. We thank you for coming on the podcast today and talking about your background, your views, and what ranked choice voting can do for our nation. Great. Well, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. I wish you all the best in everything you do, your political work, your personal life, every, your professional life, everything you do. Thank you. I appreciate that. Best of luck to you as well. All right. Take care. All the best. Thank you. Bye. Good morning, friends. I would like to take this opportunity to talk to you about my routine. Something happened today 
that disturbed my routine. And this relates to alternative parties, friends, because alternative parties is what I advance from morning to night. I am a long distance runner. I have been doing that since 19... I started running in 1991, and then later on, I became a distance runner. Approximately 2002 is when I started to run the the super long distance, like marathons. In college and high school, I ran cross country and track. So a big part of my routine is running. And I have a belief that you want to be dedicated to what you do, so there's Almost no circumstances that's going to prevent me from jogging. Right now in Texas, it is very cold. It's like 20 degrees out and then there's wind chill that factors in. So some people think you shouldn't go out. I used to live up north and I would jog in all types of weather. Certainly you want to be prepared. You don't want to go out there in a t-shirt and shorts when it's 30 below zero. Yet if you're prepared, the running experts say, and I've experienced myself over the years, you can run. So today I ran and during my running routine, because I am, I am training for something. Let's say that I'm not going to tell you exactly what it is right now. I need to keep that secret yet. I'm going to tell you I'm training for something. So it involves a long time of running and I've built up the distance over the years. So when I run, if you're running a long time, a lot of people think it'd be boring. So one thing I do is stimulate my intellect and practice things. I'm studying certain things and I practice those while I'm jogging. Also, because I have a spiritual component, I believe in praying and meditating while jogging. And this relates to alternative parties, friends. The first part of my jog, I'm praying for the advancement of different religions, just as I believe in political pluralism, i.e alternative parties on the ballot. I believe in religious pluralism. I want every religion in the United States to have an opportunity to present themselves, to practice their religion. No matter what I think or what you think of these different religions, I want them to flourish like I want the political parties to flourish. Like Voltaire said, I may disagree with what you say, but I'll defend to the death your right to say it. So I don't agree with every certain every religion out there, friends. Yet I want to support them. For example, the Jehovah's Witnesses are a religion I don't agree with. I went to a few meetings and it was very mind-numbing. So should I oppose Jehovah's Witnesses? No way, friends. When I was doing research for my first podcast, I had another podcast before this, the it was it was about Texas obscenity law. And that's what it came out to be. First, I was doing general First Amendment cases as I defined the focus of that podcast. And one theme that came up again and again is in First Amendment cases, the Jehovah's Witnesses came up a lot. So I have a lot of respect for them. I may disagree with their theology, yet I respect them. So I want them to have every right to say everything they want everywhere. And that goes for all the other religions. So the first part of my jog I pray for the flourishing of every minor sect and major sect and faith I can think of. My goal is to support the underdogs, and I believe I'm consistent and congruent with that as I support the underdogs 
religiously and politically among other types of underdogs. So the second part of my jog, I am praying for the flourishing of political parties. The political parties we've had on this podcast, a large number of them, I'm praying for that party by name so that they flourish. Now, friends, you might think, isn't this mingling church and state? No, because right now, this is a private organization. So part of my spirituality is praying and meditating. If I, if I became an elected official, I couldn't pray or meditate under that. I believe in the separation of state and church. I am a member of the Freedom From Religion Foundation, friends. I consider myself a free thinker, a deist free thinker. So, friends, that's why I pray and I believe we can and should in our personal lives, as long as we don't use government positions to advance that. I pray for all these different political parties, the alternative parties. I want them to flourish. Now, some people are going to say, we need prayer, not action. Agreed. That's why we do all the stuff we do, and it doesn't hurt to pray in additionally. So today, I was running like usual, and today, it's like we're saying, it's very cold. I was dressed as well as I could dress in this weather. Texas isn't as cold as up north where I used to be, so I don't have as many clothes as I have down here that I did up there, yet I still had a lot of clothes on. So I was running along, and there were various things happening when I was running. There was this one eye place that has one of those hypersensitive alarms. And these alarms aren't giving a sound, but they have vocalizations. They'll say, you are trespassing, even though you're perfectly on the sidewalk. So they're super sensitive. So I was afraid of triggering that type of thing. And I was jogging around all these businesses and I was afraid of other type stuff. So in the middle of the jog, and like I said, this happened before, so it doesn't surprise me. It hasn't happened for a while. I come out and this police officer among with other police officers points a gun at me. And then quickly the officers come and handcuff me behind my back. Somebody, they said, heard a sound that resembled a shot and they saw me running. So I was the one to blame for it. Even though of course I had nothing to do with that. And also because it was cold, I had a face mask on. So that made me look worse. They said, you were in a ski mask, that's suspicious, blah, blah, blah. Unfortunately, in this sense, the pandemic is over. So most of us aren't wearing masks anymore. I was one of those who wore masks at the end, yet in May of 2023, I decided I'm the, it's, it's time to take, stop wearing the mask. So I wasn't wearing the mask. So thus the people are now starting to get more suspicious of people wearing masks because it's not the norm. So to make a long story short, they hassled me. And among other things I didn't like was one of the officers, he was, he's Asian. There was one black guy and most of them were white. The Asian guy said it's weird to jog early in the morning. Benjamin Franklin disagrees. Benjamin Franklin famously said, early to bed, early to rise, keeps a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. 
because I'm a morning person, I like to be diligent, I like to get things done right away, I jog early. Furthermore, because my jogging routine takes a long time, I need to do it early. And the one officer, he seemed to be the guy in charge, Morrison or something was his name, he kept trying to justify himself and wanted me to accept their justification. He said, we need to do our due diligence. And I said, not all calls are valid. And he said, 100%, 100%. And also I was saying, so if I get mad, at, if I don't like somebody, I can call the cops and they're gonna do this to them. And because they're, they're saying, we need to do our due diligence. We need to do our due diligence. Friends, this is scary. I don't like this thing. I hate the mentality that the, all complaints are valid, so you have to go after somebody because they're being complained about. To anyone that complains like this, I'm a terrible person, but I wish they be in this position so they can experience what it feels like to have 10 police officers come after me. Yes, it was approximately 10. I didn't count, so maybe it was eight or nine, but it was approximately 10 officers. Like I said, this happened before, and this happened in Minneapolis to me when I lived up there. Then, it was bad enough, five officers came. So surely, there are better things they can do, like we all like to say. Now, I will give credit where credit is due. There was aspects of humanity shown. For example, when they had me cuffed behind my back, they took my gloves off, and then it started to get cold with my hands. So I said, please... Can you put the gloves on my hand? And they did that. So I give them credit for that. They weren't sadistic in that sense. Legalistic, yes. Maybe not sadistic. I have a problem with them thinking it's weird to jog early in the morning. Like I told the one officer, it's not illegal to be weird. It's not weird, but if I am weird, it's not illegal to be weird. Furthermore, I don't understand the mentality that it's okay to go to bars early in the morning. If you're at a bar at one o'clock, nobody thinks anything of it. But if you're going jogging at one in the morning, it's a big deal. Friends, this further fuels my drive and desire to support the underdogs and to advance alternative parties, among other types of underdogs. Spiritual people say, whenever something bad happens to you, what you want to do is leverage that and make something good come out of that. So I'm not going to use this to wallow in and to not do nothing about it. Although I believe it's okay for me to experience emotions about it and to feel things about it, I want to leverage this for something better. And it's driving me furthermore. I didn't need anything more to drive me to support the underdogs, yet here we have something that is driving me to support the underdogs. So friends, this podcast is all about supporting the underdogs and getting these voices out there. So we're going to criticize police officers when they do wrong, and we're going to keep fighting the good fight. Friends, let us advance the underdogs, whether the underdogs are refugees political minorities, religious minorities, ethnic minorities. Let us advance them. Christianity talks about Jesus helping the Good Samaritan 
praising the Good Samaritan. And scholars have said that the reason he did that was not to give us a civic lesson about the Good Samaritan helping someone. But the Good Samaritan did that, they said. He said he praised the Good Samaritan because in that culture, in that time, the Good Samaritan was the persecuted minority that the Jews of the time considered subhuman. So what we're what he did in that time was say, hey, you're wrong about taking away the humanity and the divinity of this person because they are a human being and nobody is subhuman. So we need to have that mentality. And furthermore, friends, if you're not a Christian, you may not say I, that's not relevant to me. There are other religions that have the same way. I remember learning about Buddhism, and the Buddha did that. He challenged the caste system. And then recently I read this book about Sikhs. And the guy who wrote the book said, I believe the book is, uh, for memory, I believe the book is called The Light Within Us or something like that. The guy said, the guru, Nanak, uh, forgive me, I forget his exact name, would also challenge the caste system in India. So a lot of different religions believe in egalitarianism and equality. So that's why, friends, we're going to support the underdogs. Whatever we do, politically, religiously, the whole system. So that's why we support the Palestinians. That's why we support the Syrians. That's why we support the Ukrainians. That's why we support the ethnic minorities in the United States. So friends, let's keep fighting the good fight. And that's why I love alternative parties, because they support these different views that not everyone is supporting. And we say that. That's what we say we do. And indeed, that is what we do. So friends, when the police do wrong, we're going to call them on that. Now, some of you are going to say, you're white, so we don't want to hear about police problems with white people. And indeed, I am here to tell a story, so it could have been worse. One of my, what one of my friends says is, we're not in competition with each other. So some people who try to play the two groups against each other are in the wrong. And usually it's the conservative people doing that. For example, sometimes when they're talking about police brutality, it uh, disproportionately against black people. The conservatives will say, what about the white people? They don't care. I don't think they care about the white people. They're causing trouble by doing that. The conservatives are. From what I understand, the Black Lives Matters people, they say, they, I heard that during rallies, they take a certain amount of the time to honor the white victims of police brutality too. And they say that the key word is disproportionately because by the law of averages of all police brutality cases, certainly some of them are going to be white people. That's why disproportionately is the operative word because if you have 100 police brutality cases or police misconduct cases or police, whenever the police does anything bad from the 
outright physical violence to more subtle harassment, they it's going to be the vast majority are going to be black. And there's going to be some white people in there too. So we don't want to say because most of them are black, the white ones don't matter. Yet we also need to honor and realize what the Black Lives Matters movement is saying because that is valid, that we can't have the police profiling black people more. That's not acceptable. So it's all types of things that we need to worry about. And yes, that's why they say Black Lives Matter. And I also heard Black Lives Matter say, what when police brutality is against white people, black lives still matter. And the point of that is my interpretation, correct me if I'm wrong, is it's a counter to this conservative view where who's trying to pit the white people against the black people as brutality goes and other misconduct goes because they're saying that we recognize that some of the victims of police misconduct are white too, yet we're not going to use that as a red herring to stop the legitimacy of the Black Lives Matter movement. So indeed, friends, it could have been worse, yet it should not have happened at all. So friends, let's keep fighting the good fight. Let's keep honoring the underdogs, however much an underdog they are. It may, some in some cases, it's less of underdogs than others. And that's what other some people say is just because something is less bad than something else doesn't mean it's right. Indeed. Certainly, like I said before, what happened to me today, it could have been worse, but that doesn't make it right either. Just because it could have been worse doesn't mean it's right. So friends, let's keep fighting the good fight. Let's keep advancing alternative parties. And I look forward to interviewing a lot of you and sharing your views on this podcast so we can get these awesome ideas out and we can make progress in this country and we can advance the good. Let's not give up hope, friends. 2024 is here. Some say this could be a great year for alternative parties. Some say there's a lot of conditions that are happening right now in society that make it a great opportunity for alternative parties. Whether it's a perfect year or an imperfect year, let's keep advancing alternative parties. Long live alternative parties. Goodbye.